Something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. Welcome on back, everybody, to the Founding Pothers. I'm Mr. Leesman. I am Mr. King. And so today's topic is going to be the Spanish-American War. That's uh, right. Yeah, at this point, Manifest Destiny had kind of run its course. And, you know, we've, we've grabbed up essentially all the land that we oh, could yeah. have without going to all-out war with other countries that border us. So are we, are we done drinking from the, the land-grabbing cup? Oh, no. That cup is still half full. Oh, okay. So, you know, when, when we can't grab land that's immediately next to us, we're just going to grab land that's a little bit, like, a little bit that way. You know, oh, yeah. Like, we're, we're going, we going overseas today, boys. Oh, yeah. We're going to start talking about American imperialism uh, coming up, foreign expansion, all that kind of stuff. And really, the, the thing that sets America up for essentially world domination is the Spanish-American War. We, oh, we yeah. need to establish ourselves as a superpower on the planet. Uh, and we have done so here and there, but this is we're, we're going to do it here with the spanish-american war yeah so obviously uh, so. We're, we started eyeing and we started like you know flirting with some of the land that was owned by spain but pretty much all the european powers were out of the western hemisphere yeah we're like cat calling like cuba and and like puerto rico i, see, and I can't whistle, so yeah, I, can, I can't really whistle but, uh, hey baby what you doing just yeah. like yeah uh and so if there were any other european powers it really wasn't as much as spain they still kind of had a stranglehold yeah. Um, so we dusted off you know, we dusted off the Monroe Doctrine, uh, mm -hmm. just in case we, they wanted to step and uh, give us a reason to flex our military muscle. Absolutely, yeah. And we also mentioned a guy, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He'll come up a little bit today too. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, so uh, what does a power-hungry nation do when its uh, thirst for new land and new markets haven't been quenched? Oh, we go overseas. Yeah, we're going overseas. We're going, Over there. Hopping. Yeah, we're going. Yeah, yeah. we're going. Yeah, and and I think that's a World War One song. That, but whatever. That is, anyway. that is that is going to be our outro for World War One. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the the United States was eyeing some land that was owned by Spain. Pretty much, like you said, they're Western. Uh, we've we've kicked out Europe from yeah to the Western Hemisphere. Oh yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about how this war came about. Oh, well, wait. Well, I'm I'm sure you're asking how we got into a war with Spain. Oh Gotta. yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're thinking like, all right, Spanish-American War. Like, what could have possibly started that? Right. And so let's we're gonna well, take. Well, it, it just so happens that we have information to tell you. Oh yeah, it's weird how story time. Yeah, gather so, around, children. Yeah, yeah, gather around. Uh, in February of 1895, so we're gonna go way back a little bit. The island of Cuba wanted to get rid of their colonial overlords, and Spain had been using super repressive measures to make sure that the Cubans were not successful. Um, so the U.S. press took notice uh, because it, it was, I guess, starting to like make some waves internationally uh, and portray this super aggressively. Uh, but in the publications, uh, it was basically known as what's called like sensationalism. Uh, basically, they're right up there with tabloids like TMZ. But instead of finding out what like Kendall and Kylie Jenner Starbucks orders were, like, uh, or what's going on with any like the TikTok people, which I don't know any of them, I just know that some exist. Yeah. Oh, side note, I think it'd be weird if we knew think about yeah. TikTok people because you know we're like pushing. 30. Right. My, my, I know. My. I mean, my. Like if, you're, if, you're, if you're thirty, like, if you're thirty years old, and you're like, yeah, like. What's up on TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. What's What's going on with TikTok? Like. You need to reevaluate what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, the only reason you should probably know if you're, like, over 30 is, like, if you're kids. Because I know, sure. like, because I know, like, my nephews are on TikTok all the time and by proxy. And my sister right. knows what's going on. Right. Uh, so, anywho. But, I mean, you, you said yeah. that basically this whole idea of, like, 
sensationalism has taken yeah, over, and, we're, like, like and they were they were doing a really good job of um, like displaying the Spanish Empire as like incredibly oppressive government on the people, like specifically in Cuba, they focused yeah. on. Uh, Cuba was being like 100% Cuba was being mistreated through and through, like, mm-hmm. and there were some actually really good um, political cartoons and obviously like um, like firsthand experiences being written down um, that were brought over to the United States so people could, uh, I guess, view what was going on. But essentially, this set the stage for us trying to take Cuba. Um, right. They were they were busy engaging in uh, like these tabloids were busy engaging in something called yellow journalism. Basically, it, you can kind of relate it to nowadays, like like almost like fake news. But it's not that yellow journalism isn't true or false. It was basically just like playing on the heartstrings of people, trying right. like big tabloid like headings where it's like Spain kills and like it's in yeah. like giant bold letters. It's like a picture of like Cuba on fire. Like it is your base. just so you look at it as you're like checking out at your local grocery store and you're like, wait a minute. And you right. look at it. Like it's, it's basically like clickbait. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Clickbait. I think that's probably a better way of explaining it. Yeah. It's just like, you'll never guess what happened when you piss off the Spain, like battalion <laughs> the soldiers. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> the Spanish hate it when this guy's around. Like yeah, right, right. So it basically, what we're saying is like the United States is is trying to set itself up to engage in some uh, shenanigans with Spain. And really, as you can see from like even nowadays, it's it's hard to go to war when your general population doesn't agree with it. So what they're doing is they're trying to play on the heartstrings of the American people, being like. You can't be a good ethical person, a good Christian, if you if you think what's going on in Cuba is the is the right thing. But, you know, look at what's going on. We gotta we gotta as America, the protectors of democracy. We gotta step in and save them. Yeah, I mean, well, speaking of like the protectors of democracy, I mean, I feel like it's everything that like you know the Trump campaign's doing is like saying that I think didn't during the republican convention i think they said that trump is like the savior of western democracy something like that yeah it, it, but we, we won't go on the emotions yeah. no but yeah, i'm we just saying it's much into it. playing on like emotions right. so anyway i mean that's all ta- really modern politics has become right so like we're talking about like spanish and cuba so where is cuba and if you don't know where it is uh it's an island 90 miles off the coast of florida it's so very not- close it's a very yeah. large island, so like if you're looking at a map, it's very easy to spot. Right, right. If you like follow Florida straight down, you'll find it. Right. Um, naturally, the U.S. is going to want to know because it's basically like our backyard. It's like super close. Um, you know, if if my neighbor was like making some noise and yeah, trying to, like um, problems, I'd be like, "What the hell's going on?" Right. And there's we'll get a we'll get into it in a second, but there's a lot of reasons why the United States had its eye on Cuba, but we'll wait for that for a second but um but anyway yeah i mean you basically explained where cuba is uh like say it's it's very close to the united states um and that's also an important fact to hold on to when we talk about the uh the cold war and the yeah. cuban missile crisis um but the united states had people that were getting well versed in the mono doctrine because if anything this is what it was intended for like the the obviously cuba is in the western hemisphere but it is literally like you said our backyard like it was like yeah. our immediate neighbor 
Yeah. Um, if you saw like the Google Trends, you'd probably see right around the 1890s. Right. Modern, like, like, look at spike. look at what some friends in the area are doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on top of that, the United States, like United States businesses, were flourishing in Cuba between like around 1870 and 1898. So the U.S. had a ton of skin in the game. Like, right. I mean, we had, we had tons of business reach. people. Right. So tons of business owners were going over to Cuba, uh, for you know various reasons, but uh, going over to Cuba to basically start taking control of certain industries such as like tobacco sugar coffee uh tropical fruits nuts you know like yeah right so like basically like agricultural goods but it's it's because the climate is uh, i don't know if you're well i guess you probably haven't been to cuba but uh very similar to a lot of the um islands around there in terms of climate like puerto rico or, or the uh uh, the Bahamas stuff like that. I think you um, used the term yourself, Mr. King. Is that perma summer? Yeah, it's it's perma summer. Yeah. Basically, it just, just and super old. damp. Yeah, so yeah. like it's great for growing. Um, yeah, and ninety yeah. percent of Cuba's exports were coming to the good old U.S. of A. Right. So. so I mean, Spain making life difficult for the Cubans, and the U.S. wanted to make sure those goods keep flowing. Something absolutely needed to be done. Um, we, in a sense, we relied on Cuba. Yo, yeah. And Cuba, yeah. obviously, we were their biggest. It was, it was, like, a very much, like, a, a relationship that, like, you know, it was codependent. Like, we needed their, we needed their fruit, their, like, their It was like a, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine kind right. of situation. Right, and so, you know, the U.S. government wasn't convinced yet, at least, it, not even just, like, the government, but the people wasn't totally convinced at this point that something needed to be done, like, at least militarily. Yeah, so like at this, yeah, like you said, at this point, like it hadn't become like a, an immediate, uh, like threat to the United States. It basically, at this point, it was Spain's doing terrible things in Cuba, and that sucks. Mm-hmm. We should probably step in at some point, but we probably yeah. shouldn't do it yet because if we do, we'll look like bullies. Well, in January of 1898, the United States had sent the USS Maine, which is a naval ship, mm-hmm. to dock in, in the Havana port, which is in Cuba. Uh, in Cuba to be a show of force and to protect U.S. business interests. Basically to be like, hey, buddy, we're he- like, I don't know if you forgot Spain. We're we're here. Like, you yeah. can't just be blowing things up in our backyard. Hey. Yeah. Um, it's freedom. Stop. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, uh, strangely enough, so that was in January of 1898. On February 15th, 1898, there was an explosion on board the USS Maine. What? Well, at first, yeah. the cause of the explosion was unknown. People debated whether or not it was blown up by the Spanish. A lot of people believed that it was blown up by the Spanish. By right, a, because think about by it. It's a, sitting... um, by a missile. Yeah. Or whatever think, it's called. Or like a, like a torpedo. Torpedo, yeah. Something like that. Because uh, think about it. You have this ship just chilling in the, the port of Havana. Yeah, like Not the sailors on board are like, "Hey, you want you want like you want fried eggs, scrambled eggs? What, you just like tell me." And cool. like, Poof, right, like yeah. Uh, so if it was decimated, yeah, if it was because of a, a torpedo, if it was because of an attack by the Spanish, one hundred percent super clear case for war. Yeah, had, so essentially, yeah, essentially, basically, what this and and like we had mentioned earlier, tons of yellow journalism going on. So once these news outlets find out that a military ship was blown up off the coast of our, basically our coast within yeah. our waters well not our waters but cuba's well, waters yeah. spain's waters which is close enough right um they're like spain blows up our boat 
kills yeah. innocent people. Ah, right. yeah, 25 cause... cents. Like, it's... <laughs> and it, it got a lot of people. Obviously, a lot of people were upset by this because American soldiers died. Right. I mean, uh, you had two officers, 251 sailors died or uh, from the explosion or they drowned. Seven others were rescued, but then would die of their injuries. 94 people survived, and out of those 94, only 16 were uninjured. The explosion blew the front of the ship clear off and sank right in the harbor. I believe um, it's still in the harbor. Yeah, uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. But um, anyway. immediately, like, like I was saying, immediately the press took a hold of that idea that it might be all the fault of the Spanish and basically turned that might be the Spain, uh, the Spanish and turned it into it was the Spanish. Right. And uh, so they would whip up – they would the, – the, the cartoons and, and every – and like the, the, ta- the headlines that were whipped up was just a remember the main cry, war cry. It's like a rallying cry yeah. to go against the Spanish and one of the biggest – um, supporters was a man named William Randolph Hearst, who is a uh, big old publisher. Um, and just a really quick thing, and it was I forgot where I heard it. I heard this on a podcast recently, but William Randolph Hearst, not a great guy, because number one, he basically helped start war against Spain. Number two, um, he's part of the reason that weed is illegal in the United States, because he wanted to outlaw it because hemp was a suitable substitute for wood when making paper. Um, yeah, and he right. owned so a just bunch in case of you're plantations. right, just in case you're unaware, we use uh, like pressure treated wood to turn basically into like paper, like yeah. more or less. And uh, when it was found out that hemp could be used for things like making paper, hell, making clothes, right? Uh, so a many lot things. of a lot of very wealthy and influential and politically connected business people moved to make it illegal. Yeah. We're not we're not saying for other reasons, but for those specific reasons, that's why it was made illegal. Um, right. Now, um, back to the Spanish American. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, many people didn't believe that the Spanish was behind it. Right, and so for, I mean, it, it just kind of like the 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 rallying cry took over the press, and everyone just kind of believed that it was the Spanish. But it wasn't until 1976 the American naval investigation, uh, yeah, like almost 100 years later, very, right? I mean, like 70 years later, <clears throat> they determined that the explosion was likely due to a fire that ignited all the ammunition on the front of the ship for that were for the guns, because that's where I think a lot of the ammo was was mm-hmm. towards the front. Sure. Um, and so when it exploded, it exploded all of the ammo. And in April of 19, uh, I'm sorry, in April of 1898, President William McKinley got in front of Congress and asked for a declaration of war against the Spanish. Yeah, because we kind of went through that a little quick. Yeah, yeah. everyone, everyone at this point was, it's kind of like bad news travels faster than good news, right? Right. So when people heard that a, a United States naval ship blew up and that it might be Spain, everyone was like, it, it was Spain. Yeah. Like, because uh, essentially all the news outlets were pushing that it was Spain. So everyone was like, mm-hmm. it's got to be real. It's yeah. got. I saw. I read it on the internet. So yeah, a U.S. ship blows up in a Spanish harbor. Hmm. Yeah, and at this point, people are already are very aggravated with Spain about how they were treating like people over in Cuba. Yeah, like just you know normal everyday people in Cuba. And then on top of that, you have wealthy business owners whose uh, like economic uh, future was in disarray or basically. Uh, threatened because of this war with spain so there were a lot of reasons yeah and I'm, that and I'm the sure. united states wanted to get involved and stop 
the Spanish. Right, and I'm sure at this point people also played like the economic card that it was just like, well, if you want Spain to keep control of Cuba, the price of your bananas is gonna, and your sugar is gonna go up, and people yeah. are like, everyone's oh. yeah, buy a whole penny, and they're like a whole penny. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So people were definitely pissed off at that. Yeah. Um, but now that we're at war with Spain, like full blown war, uh, it was hilariously one-sided oh and like i know a lot of the times we kind of blow things out of proportion but like for real this time guys it no. was like the spanish were not ready not I, even a little bit and we were we, rock, we like, rocked them like a hurricane like we oh yeah we we were ready and we were just like chomping at the bit a little side note at this point this, i mean the spanish were at one point one of the strongest if not the strongest empires in the entire world yeah. i mean they colonized all of i mean well almost all of south america all of central america and essentially half of north of america the united states yeah yeah well you know what is now mexico and and a lot of the southern parts of the united states so you know they were a, a force to be reckoned with at one point but all like all things come to an end. Uh, yeah, uh, they they picked wars with a lot of up and coming um, empires as well. And uh, you know, at one point, their essentially most of their naval fleet was destroyed, and they they essentially became the laughing stock of the empire world. And yeah. the United States looked at this and was like, "Well, this would be a great time to knock someone off the chessboard." So, you know, because when someone falls off, that means there's room for another, right? Right. So, right. They this was great because the United States was only getting stronger and the Spanish were only getting weaker. So they were like, let's go beat up that little kid on the playground, right? So the Spanish was not ready to fight the U.S. Right, the U.S. was chomping at the bit like one of those psycho kids that your parents were used to hang out with in elementary school who like throw rocks at birds. Yeah, like obviously you want to... Release the snakes! They're like ready to go. The United Uh, States was ready to go all out. And on May 1st, 1898, the United States sent a naval squadron <laughs> led by uh, Commodore George Dewey into Manila Bay, into the Philippines. Now, uh, the reason why we're mentioning the Philippines is because very similar to how they were in Cuba, in the Western Hemisphere, Spanish had a very large influence over in the Eastern Hemisphere, in Asia, in the Philippines. So we were like, let's let's just basically knock 17 birds with one stone. And uh, we we basically were like, look, we're going to take Cuba. We're going to take their stuff over in the Western Hemisphere. But we might as well, you know, we're trying to get ourselves introduced into the Asian markets. So let's, yeah. let's take some of their Asian footholds while we're at it. And so this um, is like a crazy story about going into the Philippines. So Dewey was able to destroy the anchored Spanish fleet in about two hours. At that point, Dewey paused so he so he could get his crew a second breakfast it was like one of those things that like a lot of the crew woke up at like three four o'clock in the morning to go get started so they didn't get a chance to eat like they basically woke up and like manned their stations yeah so he absolutely destroyed them yeah they blew up like half of the half of the fleet and they were like all right well, hey, time out let's just go like head over to starbucks for like 20 25 minutes and <laughs> right. we'll be right back yeah yeah, officials total say that one American died, and it was because of, like, a heart attack. Yeah, um, so officially, I mean, I, I guess there was a casualty, but technically yeah. not from war, right? right? Yeah, and so, like, the whole battle lasted, like, a single day. Like, it just was not fair. Yeah, like, it um, happened, and everyone was like, oh, no, the, what... They had, they're gonna they're gonna do something terrible to the Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was reading one story that it was like the 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 second breakfast story was like a, a cover because it was like a miscommunication in um it was a miscommunication saying that like one ship was like hey we only have fifteen rounds left for each gun but mm-hmm. like 
later they found out it was like they'd only fired 15 rounds and it was just like like a 100% KD rate. It was just like they were going all the frick out. Yeah, like if this was if this was a Call of Duty or Battlefield or something, like these would be the pros. Like, right. Like they're right. they're in they're in the esports industry. Yeah. Uh, but the the United States would later land Marines into Manila and they took the city by August. So and yeah, again, it, Manila is in the Philippines. Uh, so this is the the next really good one. So remember we we said we we're gonna talk about Teddy Roosevelt. Well, here it is. He was a huge supporter of the war and wanted in on the action. Um, and we've talked about the roughness and masculinity of Andrew Jackson, but the only person that could probably rival that is Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so and by the way, if you if you live on Long Island or you live in New York, relatively close <laughs> to Long Island, like in the city, you can actually visit some of uh, like the Roosevelt's like previously owned. Um, housing homes, yeah. Uh, what's it called out in like Bayville or something like that? Uh, or oh, Oyster Bay. It's like um, Bay. yeah, yeah. It's like something hill, isn't it? Teddy Roosevelt. I'll find out. It's. I went there. Uh, it's very. It's very nice. Sagamore Hill. Sagamore Hill. Right. Um, I mean, it literally like you drive down a road and you're like, oh, here it is. Yeah. Super accessible. Um, uh, and also, you can go to his um, his birthplace in Manhattan. Yeah. East twenty eight twenty eight East twentieth Street. It's actually a, um, it's actually part of like the U.S. Regi- uh, it's an NYC landmark, U.S. historic landmark, and in the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. So it's covered by the Parks Department. Uh, you'll you'll know that you're getting close to Sagamore Hill because there's a giant statue of Teddy Roosevelt on a horse, uh, and that'll tell you that you're really close. But anyway, when the war started, <laughs> uh, Teddy Roosevelt was the Assistant Secretary of the Navy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he resigned that post and organized the cavalry unit. I can never say that word right. Yeah, but, me uh, Anyway, this become uh, this unit becomes known as the Rough Riders. A, a cavalry unit means that they're essentially 90% of the time on horseback. Right. Yeah. So he was just like – If you've ever hey. seen A Night of the Museum with Ben Stiller, uh, Robin Williams plays Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. But like as a Rough Rider. Like, like Spanish-American War – Theodore Roosevelt, yeah. So like yeah, he's like that horse. whole outfit is that whole outfit is his Rough Riders uniform. Right. Yeah. So basically, what he would do is he led his men up San Juan Hill and helped the army beat back the Spanish. Um, and it, he and this is like a quintessential Teddy Roosevelt. He would go on to say that the only way to get the job done was to lead the men himself. So he's just like, I'll do it myself, and just like grabbed the gun and walked up the hill. Like yeah, with these guys. Yeah, and everyone's like, Teddy, you might die, and he's like, No, I won't. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a straight certified BA, right? Like, you can use your imagination what we mean by that. But anyway, yeah. Um, he would, yeah, like like you said, he'd go on to say that. But uh, when he would return to civilian life, uh, Roosevelt actually preferred to be called Colonel, uh, which is also yeah. like badass. Yeah, I mean, like that means either he's like some serious like war hero or he sells Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know. But either I way... Mean, they both very, have impressive facial hair. I was going to say very useful to our society. Yeah. War, hero, war heroes, Kentucky Fried Chicken, extraordinaire. Either way. It's great. Yeah, um, so, the, so Spanish, yeah. the Spanish surrender by August. So <laughs> Yeah. So we're talking like April, really May to like yeah. August. Yeah, we're, we're talking like a handful. You, on one hand, can count how many months this... Yeah, it literally says the whole war would take a little over three months in total. And yeah. the Treaty of Paris of 1898 would be signed in December. Yeah. Uh, on December 10th, the treaty said that Spain would renounce all claim to Cuba. They would also give up Guam and Puerto Rico. And um, there's, I, I always say this to my students, and I'll be like, have you guys ever heard of this, like, when people are like, when you, like, someone's taking forever to get to you, and they're like, oh, like, what are you in Guam? And the kids are like, yeah. no. And I'm like, 
what? You've never heard that? But and the reason why that statement is is because Guam is a random island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and it's like that's so like small, hella far away. you can't find it, right? right. So that's that's the point behind it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, Guam, no, Puerto it's... Rico, uh, they they surrender Cuba, and uh, the Spanish would also sell the Philippines to the United States for twenty million dollars. I mean, that's in back then money. You can convert that for yourself if you want, or maybe Mr. Leesman can do that right now. Um, either way, the, Span- uh, the, the Philippines and the Spanish were fighting each other at one point, uh, or at this point anyway, for independence. Um, now they'd have to fight the United States. So this is kind of like a like we go to war with Spain and we get claims to all of their lands. Um, and then when the Spanish transfer over their the rights to own, you know, quote unquote, rights to own the Philippines, they go from fighting the Spanish for freedom to fighting the United States for freedom. Right. And we would uh, fight the Philippines because we were like, no, you're part of the United States now. Like we were not willing to just give them up. And the Philippines were like, no, we're not part of the United States now. Right. And, and in fact, the Filipino people put up more of a fight than the Spanish and right. more soldiers would actually die in this war than against uh, in the, the Philippine war than against the Spanish in the Spanish American war. Um, by the way, that twenty million dollars in eighteen ninety eight dollars, if you transfer it to two thousand twenty dollars, it is six hundred and twenty four million three hundred thirty nine thousand seven hundred fifty nine dollars and four cents. And I'm not saying I got this in my pocket, but that you'd think that like a, an entire nation would cost a little bit more than that. But I, either way, uh, yeah, the Philippines would would become a part of the United States Commonwealth until about nineteen forty six, but Essentially, what the United States is doing is they're establishing their control, maintaining their control of the Western Hemisphere by kicking like countries like Spain out. Now we have control over Puerto Rico, even to this day, mm-hmm. and we had control over Cuba for a while, and we were able to establish a um, a base, military base in um, in Cuba called Guantanamo Bay. Um, but wonder you know, where I've heard that before. Yeah, right. Anyway, so now we're, we're controlling, we're gaining more control over the Western Hemisphere. But at the same time, the United States, which we'll go into a little bit more later, but the United States is, is trying to access more control over the Asian market. Mm-hmm. And they're doing this by gaining control of territory like Guam and the Philippines. So now yeah. they have like these little stepping stones to refuel or, or create these little stops on their way over to places like china which was like basically china was like winner take all that's that's the gold nugget that's that's what we're aiming for so if we gotta take our little stepping stone through the philippines and guam and places like that then we'll do that yeah Uh, and we'll we'll go more into uh like china and why it's important i mean it might sound weird because like today you can just take an airplane but you have to remember like that wasn't an option back then so it was all by boat and travel was very limited so we needed these like bases of operations to help us like get our way over there because it was right. it's a very long it's a very long trip and there's next episode we're going to start talking about one more area hmm. that we want as a refueling and slash naval depot yeah that exists in the uh in the pacific right um but anyway like you know long story short the Spanish-American War to be a turning point for both the United States and the Spanish. The Spanish would turn its attention away from the idea of having overseas colonies, and meanwhile, the United States would emerge as a new world power. Yeah, they would come to the world stage with more overseas territories, new overseas territories, and a new stake in international politics. I don't know. What could go wrong? Obviously nothing. Nothing right. ever goes wrong. Right. Anywho. 
But, you know, this was one of the shorter episodes, but that's because Spanish-American War was probably one of the so shortest short. you know, <laughs> yeah. battles we've ever fought. Right. Um, I mean, the Civil War lasted longer. It, uh, it. So, you know. World War One uh, lasted longer for it's, the United States. Right. The, the important thing to take away from the Spanish-American War is that it increased the United States' power on an international scale. Yeah. This, this put us on the stage. And now we have almost all control over the Western Hemisphere, and now we're trying to gain more control over the Eastern Hemisphere, like areas like China and stuff like that. This is kind of what's going to like, we're going to get that taste in our mouth for international conquest. And, you know, uh, uh, basically what we call this is imperialism, but we'll talk about that next episode. Yeah. All right. right, So thanks for uh, listening. Enjoy this wonderful song that is relevant. Um, Have a great day, everyone. You too.